Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40, brought to you by Homefield Apparel and part of the Nova Insider Network. I, I, like, fucking just forgot. The Full 40 with Chris, Billy, and Trevor. I'm a mess. I'm already a mess. Chris turned 37, and his memory disappeared into the ether, and, and now he's having trouble with his motor skills. This is what we call early-onset dementia. Yep. Dementia runs in my family. Oh, Gio, sorry. It's, it's, it's <laughs> alright. No, it's 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 fine. I don't care. It's it's fine. My my ninety six year old grandma's in a home. It's fine. Uh, I I struck a nerve, guys. Where we're just Brian cut this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. All right, we're already a mess. We haven't gotten one minute into this podcast. We got a lot to cover today, though. Um, so. First of all, you're going to get to see a home field ad cut by Trevor. So that's going to be one of us going to come later, um, which is, I know, the moment everyone's waiting for. Um, but in addition to that, we're going to cover the week that was, talk a little bit about our thoughts around Nova's non-conference schedule. And then right around the top of the hour, right around 10, we'll be joined by the one and only John Fanta, who needs basically no introduction because he's just everywhere. Um, so if you watch college basketball, you know, John Fanta is. So we're honored to have him on for like the fourth or fifth season running. Um, and he's coming on at 10 o'clock to talk all types of biggies hoops. We're going to ask him some specific questions about Nova. We're going to ask him some specific questions about Nova and then, and yeah, we'll go from there. So, uh, a busy week, um, a one point overtime loss at K-State. Uh, and then, and then a nine-point win uh, versus UCLA at the Wells Fargo Center on uh, on Saturday evening. Uh, so, yeah, guys, I mean, like, what's your? Um, obviously, it's been a crazy couple weeks. A lot of chatter around a lot of different topics. But what is your like prevailing thought coming like, as we sit here today about Villanova, the out of conference schedule, etc.? What's your? I'll go to Willie first. Meat on the bone. We left too much meat on the bone. I look back and I think about it comparing to last year. Where last year, I think we just kind of just got beat across the board by teams. Like even like, yeah, we should have beat Oregon, like because they were down to like four people playing. But I just look at the games that we had. Drexel was just. There's no excuse for Drexel. Like I can't. There's nothing for Drexel. I think St. Joe's actually just kind of beat us. Like I'm fine with that. Like they kind of just straight up beat us. I'll give us a mulligan on Penn for like first time seeing the zone, dealing whatever, even though we probably should have just beat Penn. And then Kansas State, like we just didn't execute down the stretch. And I think we should have had it. So I sit back, I'm looking at this, and all right, we're seven and four. And I'm really like, we should be nine and two. And we shouldn't have two bad losses on our record. And I think we're still with a decent Big East, and we're going to talk about this as we go down the path. With a decent Big East season, we're still like a tournament team. But those two losses that we have are the difference from us being like a top six seed and a top 10 seed. And that's like really where the big difference is. Um, just having those bad losses on our record. And then, you know, maybe we go through the non-conference or the Big East play and we beat UConn twice. We beat Creighton twice. We beat Marquette. We'd like do amazing and it doesn't matter. That's not going to happen. Very unlikely to impossible. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just look at it and I we left too much meat on the bone. Um yeah, that's just the thing I come away with. And then I share this in the chat with you all. Um, shooting. And we just – are we – who are we shooting? I don't think we're a great team shooting, but I share this in the chat. We are shooting 28% on uncontested jumpers. 
And realistically, every single one of those is a three-pointer. Like, we're not taking very many uncontested mid-range jumpers. We're shooting 28% on that. It, I, I don't even know how that's possible from a basketball standpoint. Like, that shouldn't be possible. Um, so you'd imagine there's some progress, egression, regression to the mean. I don't know what the term is for it, whatever. But you imagine that would happen. But, like, it's stuff like that where there's just meat on the bone I'm glad we we have strong wings. <laughs> like we have strong wings. It's very clearly we can see it there. But this is a Jekyll and Hyde team, and I'm hoping to see just some consistency in a positive direction. Come Biggie's play. Yeah, I um I to carry off Willie's point. This is kind of like the opposite of what we've been accustomed to the last few years in terms of shooting and defense. Like normally we come in and we're a pretty good offensive team and it's the defense that kind of has to gel, but this season especially it's, we're a really strong defensive team and we cannot shoot to save our lives. Um, It definitely left a lot to be desired on the out of conference. Uh, If you figure if you beat Penn, you don't even end up playing Drexel. I agree with Willie. We just got beat by St. Joe's, and they're a really good team. They beat uh, Princeton the other day. Um, they're set up nicely to make a run in the A-10. Um, but if you beat Penn, you don't even play Drexel. Maybe you lose to LaSalle. Yeah. Um, so that, but that's just something that – and LaSalle's a good team this year too, um, or better than they've been. But So that's just something that kind of you look back and could – could have changed the entire trajectory of the season. Um, like I said, the the wins we have are are good wins. Memphis just picked up a big win the other night. UNC's rolling. Uh, beating Mick Cronin's always good. Um, Kansas State. Start start your action with with eight seconds on the clock left. I I beg you next time, yeah. PJ. Um, would have, I mean, we all, everybody talked about it on Twitter at nauseum, like would have loved to maybe get somebody else a look to try to win that game in regulation. Um, you look at the tape there, you can find two points here and there, but that broken play that we were probably like an extended finger away from pointing, poking that ball into the backcourt and running out with a layup instead of Kansas state getting an alley-oop to bring it within two and then eventually hit the game winner. Um, so that's just basketball, I guess. Um, you really want Penn and Drexel back. Uh, Penn especially, so you don't even have to risk losing to Drexel. But um, I think this sets us up to having to go, I think we talked about it and lined it up, like you, you have to win 10 or 11, maybe 12 games in the Big East to be totally secure with uh, where you are before the Big East tournament. Yeah. Uh, unsatis- so like it kind of parlays into what Willie said, but I'm just I'm, I'm, it's like wholly unsatisfying. Like in a weird way, if if this season had just gotten off to like a total crash and burn, like we lose those games that we lost and lose to UNC and then Arkansas or something like that, you kind of say, okay, this is just going to be a disaster. We'll we'll see kind of we'll see it out, obviously, because we always do. But like we'll see it out. But this is going to be a clusterfuck, and you know we can comfortably call for some type of change at the end of the season to, to, to write the ship going forward. And on the other side of it, like if you win those two other games that Willie, you were talking about, you're nine and two and you're feeling like I have to go 500 in, in a decent big East play to like 
to comfortably make the tournament, which is would be an easy expectation after being nine and two. Um, and you're like, okay, that's good. And then, and, and also from nine and two, you feel to your point, Willie, you feel like you can go out and maybe get 12 and eight, 13 and seven and, and actually wind up with like a four seat, a five seat and actually make some noise and then feel like, okay, Villanova might be, you know, quote unquote back. Right now, this is just like, I said this in the group chat earlier, but it's like, it feels like we're like a 500 NFL NBA team that makes the playoffs, but doesn't get a high draft pick. <laughs> it just feels like very like unsatisfying. Now, that being said, I give the team some credit because clearly the talent's there to beat some good teams and the yeah. defense and the defense on this team does travel. And we talked about this last week, but the, this defense and rebounding, defense and rebounding. Defense. I know they're working on offense in in practice. I don't think I'm not like stupid enough to think that they don't work on it, right? Like, but like it's it's frustrating to keep hearing that message because it's like, yeah, you guys got that part. Right? Like, some teams need to some teams talk about, hey, we need to turn defense into offense, right? This team takes bad offense and turns it into bad defense, right? Like it's it's literally like turning the ball over, clanking a shot. With you know, after five ten seconds have expired on the shot clock, on like a even an uncontested three, but like mostly like sometimes like you know semi contested three uh, to like throwing an absolute fastball off the backboard on a drive so that you create a run out the other direction, which is unreal. That's amazing. Um, like it, everything is just like it. It feels like you could make the argument that we're inches away from. Being like considered right with Creighton, maybe not UConn and Marquette, but right with Creighton at that like tier one B of the of the. Uh, That's how we felt when we left the Bahamas. Yeah. We're like yeah. we're right there with Creighton, maybe above Creighton, right? And and then we just proved ourselves wrong. But yeah, and Willie, even even the unsatisfying part like goes to like the um, the the Maryland game, the Memphis game, like you kind of like look back on those games now and you're like, well, shit guys, like we could have been Ken Palm 22. And like, I know it seems like silly, but like we could have been like Ken Palm 22 if we just beat the brakes off those teams. Like we were, we were up 30 in both of those games. Like why couldn't we end up 25 up 30? Like I know again, like at the time when we complained about it, it seemed ridiculous. Um, and our, and our Nova insider brethren, Chris Nataro called us out about it. Um, uh, basically subtweeted us on our, uh, on his episode, but like, but like you do that, even that, right. You, and you're in a, you, you even feel better about your, your resume right now because your, your advanced metrics look better. It's all of it is just to say that like, we left way too much out there, um, for the taking in the out of conference schedule. And now we're in a position where. In kind of like a topsy-turvy Big East, you need to perform well. You need to pick up some wins against some really high-end teams. And you need to avoid losses to really bad teams. Yeah. And and so it's just like – it's just going to be – every game is going to have its own like nightmare fuel scenario. Like our first game is on the 20th versus Creighton. And at Creighton, and that's nightmare fuel because every time we go there early in the season, we get the doors blown off of us. Then our next game, three days later, is at DePaul, which should be like it should be an easy win. <laughs> but we but, lost there last year. But we lost there last year, and and oh by the way, they're so bad this year that if you lose there this year, you're fucked. 
<laughs> that would be easily the worst loss that we've had. A loss easily. to DePaul means we have like it's. I think like people have to look at it like it's so like it's two points topsy turvy. For every loss, bad loss that we have, you have to make it up with an elite win. So like you lose to DePaul, you got to win at stores. Like and that's asking way too much right there. Like I just I'm chalking that up to a loss. Even though we played UConn well on the road last year, like it's just like we're putting we put ourselves not behind the eight ball because once again like. We win 11 games. You go around 500. We're probably still pretty safely like a top nine, 10 seed. But it's unsatisfying for what this team could be, especially seeing what we did during the Bahamas. Like seeing that in Atlantis, you're like, I, I think people are like, is that a flash in the pan? And I was just, and like, I think it's tough to call three games in a row in that situation a flash in the pan. Like, that's what they showed what the ceiling is. Like maybe it's a flash in the pan of what the ceiling was is, but like that's who this team could be. Like they did that. They showed that. So it's now now the expectations have changed, like to that, to Chris, your point earlier. Like we're no longer dealing with the fact that, like, oh, we lost to Penn and then cool, we like, yeah, we beat Texas Tech, we lose to UNC, we lose whatever, and it's a it's a cluster. It's now like, okay, well, we know that we can we know we can be at least a top 20 team in talent. Like we know that there should be a puncher's chance at a sweet 16 with this team like let's just that's what it should be at a peak and we're dealing with a situation where now we're like the way to describe it is to be favored to get to a sweet 16 we probably have to win like at UConn and at Marquette like we have to split with UConn Marquette and Creighton to be in a position to be a top five seed or top six seed where you're favored to or could be favored to go to a sweet 16 depending on matchups and I'm sitting here talking about sweet 16 and we're like we're seven and four which like we need to like there's just like so many more things that we have to do to raise the floor of this team because we've, we've seen the bottom. <laughs> well, at least I think we've seen the bottom. I hope I hope we've seen the bottom. But uh, but we, there's so many more things that we need to do to raise the floor of this team and like getting creative offensively when we're when it is a four minute stretch without when it's a three minute stretch without scoring is something that we need to do. I don't. It's a testament to our defense that we haven't been blown out of these games when. I haven't done the math on it, but like out of the 11 games, I would venture to say seven of them, we've had a four plus minute scoring drought and like three or four of them being like six to seven, eight minutes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just keep going back to the fact that if you, if we end up as an eight, nine seed, it's just like, okay, maybe you win the first game and, and, and then you're playing, you're playing Houston. You're playing Arizona. You're playing Purdue. I like. <laughs> yeah, and well, going off of that, I th- I think we're definitely one of those teams that 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 one seed wouldn't want to see. Yeah. Which great, good for them. They'll. This is like we would be their Wisconsin from 2017, but um, that's assuming we're playing our best basketball at the end of the year. Right. Um, I think that if we trap ourselves and get stuck around that same line if if we don't get those marquee wins in big east then it's not going to be a great situation to try to get to a second weekend in march but i don't know it's that's also it's so far out i don't even know i don't i don't want to totally focus on that um but it's it's definitely like we we talked about it we we kind of know the the roadmap here yeah I guess one thing that we didn't talk about yet is Justin Moore. 
Um, yeah. You know, the question is kind of like, what is his timetable to return? Um, you know, I think we were talking in the group chat that saying like, hey, like it might not be the worst thing. It, as odd as that sounds, like last year, last year you could chalk up the whole season not having Justin Moore. Right, like, like you could make that excuse for everybody, right? We beat UCLA without him, and we should have beat Kansas State without him. Like, yes, yeah. I, I, I'm proud of us for beating how, how we handled UCLA, which like UCLA is like fine, but like we were missing our in theory best player, and we did it without him. Like, yeah, right, and it didn't feel any like like we were down for a little bit in that first half because we couldn't shoot the ball like to save our fucking life. But like, but like, at no point in that game did I think to myself with the just the players that we had. Like, I never said to myself, oh, we need Justin to get over the hump with this team. No, I, yeah. Like, I very clearly felt like we were the better team on that floor. Which was reassuring, too. Like, I yes. felt really good about that. Right. Which speaks to the ceiling of this team. <laughs> right. Right. You get Justin Moore back, and all of a sudden things go well. Now, do I think that, in, in a weird way, do the lineups kind of work a little bit easier? Well, not when Neptune's playing Arch in in the middle of that first half. But Too like thunderous applause from the oh yeah, I'm sure the uh, no, I'm I, I'm dead serious. It was it was very loud cheering the second he came in. Um, I wanted him to hit that three so badly. We were yeah, we were begging for it. Um, no, he. Uh, I would rather have seen the Nana first half minutes. Um, who he had some really solid possessions in the second half. Um, but I, Chris dribbled the ball and tried not to turn it over. Um, yeah, the shot didn't look great, but that's like probably his fourth attempt of the season. Like, you know. Um, I think it was his first. <laughs> I thought the Nana defensive play where he he stood block. his ground and then got that block yep. was – we were I think we had started to take control of the game, but I feel yep. like that actually was a – that, that, that was like an early – that defensive possession was like an early dagger, so to speak. So if – if you were at Wells Fargo and at Xfinity before the game and saw me, you probably heard me say this is going to be the Nana and Joku coming out game. And I was not entirely serious about that, but I took full credit after the fact. Um, every game that he's played, like, legitimate minutes in, it feels like he gets one of those insane blocks that just changes the entire momentum of the next five minutes. Um, we saw it against UNC back-to-back possessions. We saw it again last uh, Saturday night when it was – we were kind of had them on the ropes trying to pull away. And that was huge. Um, so I was, I was really happy. And then, yeah, he got, he got buried on the other end on his layup or dunk attempt. But um, I think we ended up maintaining possession, getting a three out of that, but it was, um, it was encouraging to see that. Yeah. He hasn't played a ton, um, but you can still throw him out there in high leverage situations and he's not going to totally, uh, lose it for you or anything like that he made good plays um mm-hmm. playing him with lance Ware is interesting too um you get that big lineup um, jumbo I our, package i think our, i think hosen was on the floor at that time um for some much needed shooting and spacing but other than brendan like the next smallest guy was longino who's six five burton at six seven or six eight whatever he is and then it was the big guys yeah so it's it's fun that we can go big, um, I guess, yeah. for how not big we are. And part of that is you're playing two seven-footers. But uh. Real quick, uh, Arch that was his Arch's first shot attempt of the year, um, of which Arch up to that point, I don't think fouls count in trillions. So he Arch had a 15 trillion at that minute moment. And Arch has literally, that was the, that 
shot attempt was the first non-foul that or, or turnover, foul or turnover that Arch did all season. So he's had no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks. And then be fair, not much opportunity. But, no, there's no not, not much opportunity. <laughs> he's I just like think, ten minutes. Yeah, I just think it's so yeah. interesting. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, that's super interesting. No, everybody um, wanted that ball to go in. Um, but um, yeah, I'm not like blaming him. I just think it's an interesting. I, was, I wanted to see if he could get like an 89 trillion at this stage. Just keep doing what you're doing. Um, I I think what's uh, something I wanted to call out, and we I said this on Twitter, and I'm still like we did a little bit. Individual players did a bit better job of it. Of it's like cutting off the ball when we get into the lane. We we we're stagnant, and then it's, I mean Dixon or it's Justin all season of just like trying to bully their way in and like pivoting and pivoting and trying to bully their way in instead of like, even before they get to the point where the, they pick up the ball, but having people cut and dive and move all around, that really didn't happen. There was one moment in, during the game where we were like, I don't know what got into us. We had beautiful ball movement where there was people cutting off the ball. People were moving and it was going quick, quick, quick. It got to the middle of the zone, got kicked out to, I want to say, Hart or Longino for a three and they missed it, but it was just a moment of ball movement. I was like, where the hell has this been? It yeah. was so crisp. And I was like, that's what we need to be doing. And we just like stay stagnant, like outside of like, or we stay stagnant and then we don't go to the rim hard, which is a thing. Like we're getting blocked at the rim. We're actually like, I'll give you the numbers right now. We're actually shooting uh, at, for at the rim. We rate as poor. <laughs> um, we are shooting. 51% at the rim um, and 50 or 52% at the rim and 51% on layups. We already know we're missing layups at the rim, but we're also just getting blocked like a decent amount, which is like very frustrating because we're going up soft. I want to give Burton a shout out. He got to the line a lot, which is another common thread. When we get to the line, we win. Like that just seems to be what we need to be doing. Like we, if the jump shots are going, just go hard to the rim and get fouled. And, it, it's counterintuitive because it goes against how we've played for the last 10 years, but we're jump stopping and then we're just not, we're pivoting and then we're not athletic enough to go through people or go over people. And people are just like, if they don't call the foul, then we're kind of just like shooting a stupid shot. Burton did a good job of getting to the line, being aggressive, using his athleticism and like forcing fouls to be called. And then like, I think made what 10 out of, 13 or 10 out of 12 free throws, whatever it was, or 12 out of 13, um, which was really good. I mean, he scored 18 points. He only made three baskets, but he like was living at the line because he was cutting to the basket and cutting hard. And that's what we need more of is that to one, get to the line. Cause it's very clear. We win when we get to the line, we win. Um, and then two, just like to break up the offensive monotony when we can't get a jump shot going, because we can't keep going back to the pass, 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 shoot a three with 10 seconds left on the, uh, on the clock or pass, pass, pass. We don't, we just keep passing and then we throw up something stupid there. Am I reading this right? That per Ken Palm, a hundred possession possessions, we get blocked 15.6% of those yep. possessions. We get That's blocked great. a lot. Good for 357th in the country. Yes. We get blocked so much. <laughs> okay. Cause I said on Twitter the other day, I was like, it feels like we get blocked a lot. That's correct. I, we do. <laughs> we also have played some really good defensive centers this season. You got Baycott. Memphis has a couple of tall dudes. Uh, UCLA has two seven-footers. Well, Mario Williams has um, their guy. Yeah, the, the I mean, Williams from Drexel. Williams from Drexel killed mean. us. Yeah, really? he had like three or four blocks. Didn't good it? news is there's nobody really tall or, or good at blocking yeah. the ball in the Big East. That's good. I, well, 
all the trouble <laughs> that Dixon has with uh, Cockbrenner, it's just yeah. Um, and and Burton, that's just that's just four years of Richmond basketball, man. <laughs> Not much else to it. Nick Cronin, such a fucking uh, he's just fucking an fuck. angry, angry, sad old man. You're um, an angry elf, <laughs> <laughs> South Pole elf. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was not. It, it was that was very entertaining to watch too. Uh, I don't think anybody likes him. No, he's like the worst version of Danny Hurley and Kevin Willard mixed together. Yeah. Um. The what was I going to say? Oh, I, I just want to point out Jordan, Jordan Longino. Um, yeah. And and if we're going to yeah. give, if we're okay giving awards again, yeah. Um. Yeah. They've I'm gonna it. actually give. I don't have necessarily the stats to back it up, but I don't care. Just from looking at it, I'm gonna give Jordan Longino my Alpha Dog of the Week. Com- completely, he passed the eye test. Yeah, he passed it. He had I a don't... great game against Kansas State. Whatever, he... say whatever about the finish. That was a mix of just situational awareness, and the coaches probably should have said, "Hey, you got four dribbles, and you got to put something up." And whatever reason it didn't happen, but he was cooking in overtime. He was probably so gassed. That's why he went short on one of those free throws. Um, but he really carried the load that Justin uh, left behind. In a situation where we needed a leader, like someone to step up, like, and like Eric was fine. Like I have nothing against Eric. He's been fine. Um, but like you needed a leader. You needed someone to step up. Like Jordan did it. Like in both games. Yeah. That, he is a quarterback. That's, that's what, it, that's in his DNA. Um, but like, he did it. He stepped up. Like he took, Big shots down the stretch versus Kansas. He took and made big shots versus UCLA. So, like, yeah. I think it just makes sense. Shout out to him for the alpha dog. Like, just, like, not even just in the moment. But, like, the stepping up to the moment is almost more what I'm more proud of than, like, the completion of it. Like, it's the fact that there was a vacuum and he – like, we had two leaders on this team, and, like, now I kind of look at him like, I don't know, Jordan might be number three. And, like, we'll see what happens with, like, when Justin comes back and Jordan can't start. But, like, it is what it is. Like, I'm almost, like, asking the question, do you start Jordan yeah. when Justin's back? Maybe. And you put, and you put Mark and Hart. My view is yes. I'm definitely at the team yeah. of finishing uh, with Jordan. I mean, you finish who's yeah. playing better, but like typically, I, no, I'm I, on the I, I'm on the yeah, game of I'm on the game of putting Mark as the sixth man right now. I was very much on team Mark has to start, um, but when Moore comes back, I think you put I think you start Jordan. Did I cut out? Yeah, you sound fine to me. Oh, okay, good. Um, it's like a little bit shifty for me at the moment. Well, even right. like you, you do have a couple games um, to yeah, Trevor. You you do get a couple games if Justin's coming back. Like you might want to lean him back in, kind of instead of just like, oh yeah, Justin's starting again. Like so, you do get some opportunity to probably have Justin coming off the bench for one or two. Um, so it's not like an immediate. Also, we have no idea on the timeline and everything yeah. like that. So. Um, but yeah, Jordan picked up the uh, the leadership role and the responsibility almost that when it was left on the up to whoever in Kansas. Eric continues to be solid and, and awesome. Um, we love Eric, but but Jordan uh, Jordan did what we all kind of had heard he was going to be doing, 
And yep. uh, that's all we can really ask for right now. I view, um, and I think we're about to be joined by Fanta, but I view, um, I view it as you either he's either, Justin either plays versus Creighton, or he doesn't play until Xavier. Like you don't play him away at 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 DePaul if he's not good. If he's not good to go for Creighton, just hold it's him like, out for the. It's like three game. days later. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. I'm, then I'm you. then you play him on the third, and I think that's what we're talking about time wise. I don't think we're talking about that long of a timetable. All right, we got a second ad, thirty second ad, and then we'll be live with John. Today's episode of the Full 40 is brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield produces some of the best quality vintage collegiate apparel on the market. You won't find better game day gear anywhere else. Homefield has the ultimate collection of old school logos and looks with the best quality around. Shop t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodies, bomber jackets, and more at homefieldapparel.com. Don't forget to use code NOVAINSIDER for 15% off your first purchase. That's code NOVAINSIDER at homefieldapparel.com. All right, we are back, and live with us is John Fanta. John, you need no introduction, but good to see you. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Love the full 40. I've always loved what you guys are doing, and just seeing it grow is is really cool. So appreciate you guys having me on this Monday night. It's good to be with you. Same to you. Same to you. So, John, we're going to dive right in because we know – I have an important question for John. Oh, first off. This is most important. John, how do you feel about your Browns? I mean, Joe Flacco's running it. <laughs> yeah, Flacco I'll tell you what. He, he has been – I finally, finally, in the 28th year of life, have found a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> a nice 39-year-old man. <laughs> it took 28 years to find a 39-year-old guy to play the quarterback position. This is the smoothest I've seen a quarterback play for the Cleveland Browns. And for those who think that I'm kidding, I'm not. I'm not kidding at all. I'm being completely serious. Like, I have never seen someone smoothly run an offense. They have driven right down the field back-to-back weeks on the opening drive. Flacco's smooth. The Browns have always had an offensive line, so they're going to give him time to throw. And – David Bell had never had a touchdown reception. He's in the second year of his career. In Flacco's second game, he delivers to David Bell, runs it all the way into the end zone on that dramatic fourth and three. Flacco became, guys, the first Browns quarterback since Brian Stipe in 1980 to throw for three touchdowns of over 30 yards in the same game. 43 years it had taken for a quarterback to have what Jalen Hurts and Pat Mahomes have called Basically every Sunday. Yep. <laughs> Things are looking up in Cleveland. Yeah, eight and five. I feel good. <laughs> eight, eight and five. I feel good right now. I, my season is going a lot like Villanova's. It's, oh, yeah. I was going to say I'd rather be seven and four, but, you know. <laughs> true. Very true. That's a great cut, John. So I guess we'll go right into that then. Um, so um, Villanova, seven and four. Really up and down roller coaster. We've been calling it Space Mountain here on the podcast because not only is it a roller coaster, but we're totally in the dark as to what's going to happen next. So I guess what's your takeaways from Villain? Because Villanova's out of conference schedules wrapped up, um, at least for now. So I guess what's your takeaway? Well, my takeaway is is that this is a team that because of the tempo that they play and the style that they play. They could beat anybody. They could also lose to a lot of teams. So 
now that non-conference is wrapped up, uh, overall, if the NCAA tournament started today, and I could say this through some people that, that I've talked to in the last 48 hours, Villanova would be in the field. They would be in the field. Yep. Probably as like a 10 seed, but they would be in the field. And the reason why is, is because unlike a lot of teams, they collected quality wins. And this time of year, the committee's going to reward you for collecting quality wins. 2-0 and against Quadrant 1. I mean, that, that to me, says it all. Um, and, and look, has this been topsy-turvy? Without question. You can't go 0-3 in the Big Five. I don't care what the circumstances are. That was unacceptable, inexcusable. No. Anybody from Villanova's side of things would tell you that. But, um, you know, you also can't get into the, the territory of sky is falling, this is dead, you know, changes, drastic shifts. Nothing is going to drastically shift in season other than – these guys figuring out how they're going to play with each other game in and game out. That's the only thing that's going to shift. Mm -hmm. If you want to complain about late game execution and about coaching and all that, people have complaints about everything. I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't complain about. And your standard should be high. The roster costs $3 million. Okay. <laughs> so you shouldn't be seven and four. You should be nine and two. But the fact of the matter is this. You're not. You are what your record says. And here's the thing. Everybody's probably looking at the Creighton game saying, oh, boy, they're probably starting conference play with an L. I twist it because last year they went to Omaha. And remember that game? Yep. They should have won that game. Mm -hmm. My point is they're going to be in pretty much every game they play because of how they play. Yep. And I do think, I do think, there was value to this past week because they learned that they cannot over-rely on Justin Moore. These other guys have to be themselves. They've got to play their roles. And I thought role definition got a little bit better for this team in the past week. Agreed. <laughs> we, we, we were just talking a little bit about the, about the week that was, and it, it did feel like we said like last year, Justin Moore not being with the team felt like, okay, that was, you could just chalk up the whole season almost to, to that. And this year, Justin Moore not being with the team feels a little bit like, hey, this might actually be a little bit of a blessing in disguise, provided that Justin is able to come back relatively soon because, because now other guys have to step up. Jordan Longino has been a, a revelation for the Wildcats. Um, and it's been, it's been quite the, uh, it, it's been quite the showing for him, especially over the course of the last week. Um, John, let me ask you a question here. So at seven and four, and I and and we kind of came to a similar conclusion on on NCAA tournament hopes. We we, we kind of feel like you get to 18, 19 wins overall, and you're probably feeling pretty decent about your your chances on selection Sunday to get into the field. Um, but let's just say this doesn't go that way. Let's just say Villanova uh, loses at DePaul. Yeah. And and ends it up You're ends up a pretty picture here, Chris. Yeah, ends up ends up with like a nine and eleven record um, in in conference play and misses the tournament with this roster for a second straight season. You said before 
and fully, we're fully on board with this. You're not making a Villanova is not going to make any changes midseason. Most most schools don't. Villanova is certainly not going to be buck the trend in that regard. Do you think that Villanova would potentially make a change at, at the end of the season if if it didn't work out? If it if it worked out this this latter way that I just said. Well, if they don't make the NCAA tournament, they're either going to make one big change or they're going to make several little to moderate changes. Yeah. I, I would think it's the latter okay. uh, because if you let go of – if you make a coaching – first off, I think this team's going to make the NCAA tournament. I, right. really, yeah. I really do believe that. Like, yeah. like, I thought that after they lost to Kansas State. Because I really did think going in the UCLA game, there was just everything aligned for desperation in that game against a younger UCLA team. And you just felt like they were going to find a way to win that game. And they did. But, but guys, yeah, the, the standard here is high. Uh, because you were listed as a blue blood. Mm-hmm. And you are, you are a blue blood. And you might not be in Tier A. You know, you're not with Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, Carolina, but you're in the class. If we're going to identify name brands in this sport, you're absolutely in the top 12. I'll put you in the top 12, maybe top 10. I put you in the top 10 in my rankings of name brand. So when you have that recognition, yeah, you you missed the NCAA tournament for the first time in 11 years last season. I'll give you one pass. Two passes means change has to happen. Mm -hmm. So – how that change gets made is another thing. But I also think there's there's an interesting conundrum right now. And the interesting conundrum to me is, is that it still feels like Jay Wright's program, and it doesn't fully feel like Kyle Neptune's program. And I say that not insulting any one thing. I think it's just the power of transition. And I think it's the impact of transition. And that when you make a transition, certain guys, it takes them time to see you as the head coach. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. I I thought Atlantis was going to be that. I really did. Didn't it feel like Atlantis was the moment where now this is Kyle Neptune's role? Yes. Well, I think we learned that just because you have one moment doesn't mean you collect 10. That's what speaks to Coach Wright's greatness, is that he sustained at an unbelievable level going 263 and 53 over a nine-year span. Nobody's ever going to do that with a program anywhere, anywhere, not at a power, not in a power conference. But that's what they're battling, I think. Uh, at least that's what I think they're battling. Like, I'm not in there – in their facility every single day. Only they know. But this is just my observation. My observation is is that you're trying to run a Fortune 500 company (laughs) the same exact way without the leader of it. And it's really hard to do it the same way when the person who legitimately knows every formulaic method to do that is not in that chair every time you step out on the floor to play a game. If you had a substitute teacher for three straight months, there's a reason why they're a sub. Right. It's time for Kyle Neptune 
to fully put away the criticism. Put away the, like, this isn't me criticizing him. This is me saying to Coach Neptune, this is me saying to those Villanova players, throw out all the stuff. Throw out all the distractions. Put away the phone. Put away everything on the outside. Focus on yourself. Don't listen to anybody. Don't look at it as a pressure situation. Stop caring what people think about you. Stop caring about reputation. Just coach your team. Kyle Neptune went to Fordham with zero expectations, and he put that program on the map. Villanova's the exact opposite. But you've got to go out and say, you know what? At the end of the day, I've got top 15 talent in America. Let's let this loose, and let's go right now. I'm ready to run through the fucking wall. I'm I'm good. <laughs> Let's go, John. Where's Joe Flacco? I'm on your page. Right now. <laughs> that's how I see, that's how I see it. And you know, I, I do think that they could play faster at times. I, I'm, not saying, I'm not Most saying I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying all the time. But when you have this much scoring talent, you should be able to accelerate what you do from time to yep. time. Yeah, it's, we we keep. There's, I'd like to see us be more opportunistic, especially off missed defensive rebounds, and especially when you have a Mark Armstrong, a TJ, a Tyler Burton, who like these people who thrive in transition, and we're just not putting them always in that position to win. And to your point, John, and what we've all said, like opportunistically running. We started to do that. There was a point where we were talking on the pod where I think we finally broke the top 300 in tempo, and I was like, oh, maybe something's changing. It's reverted back, and we're sitting here. We're sitting here in the same situation where the tempo that we play when we're not shooting well gives other teams a chance to stay with us. Yeah, that that's exactly it. When you're so reliant on three-point shots, Willie, it's it's a terrific point. When you're so reliant on three-point shooting and those shots aren't falling and you're playing at one of the slowest tempos in college basketball, that's not a formula to win games. I mean, it, or, or let me let me go a step further. It's not a formula for the talent you have to serve as an advantage. Yep. Mm-hmm. you're playing a game that a lot of people would be comfortable playing in. So, look, it can be deadly. Like, it can be the other way around. And and guess who learned that the hard way? Memphis. Yep. Memphis learned if you're not shot making and they come out and do that, you're done. And Villanova's going to do that to a couple of teams in the Big East. They're going to come out. They're going to hit five of their first six shots, and the game is over at the under 16. It just, it just is. Because when you play that tempo and you're up by 10 to 15 points, 10 is like 20. But for me, you know, the, the game that still sticks out the most is the St. Joe's game. And and obviously I did the game, so I watched it live. So it's why it sticks out to me. But you know why it sticks out to me? It sticks out to me. Like Drexel to me was an after effect of St. Joe's. They were tight. They were upset. They were down. You lost to a team that you should have beaten. They shouldn't have beaten St. Joe's, and they didn't. And that's why I point out the St. Joe's game. Because St. Joe's said, we're going to run at them. We're going to run at them. We've got the best individual player on the floor in Eric Reynolds. Oh, we're going to put Eric Dixon in ball screen coverage all night defensively. We're going to make him go all over the place. And Eric can handle that to a degree. It's the other defenders who got mixed up, no communication. Who's the alpha? Who's the dog on this team that's going to step up in those moments and say, guys, we got to be better. We got to dig deep. 
That's what this team needs game in and game out. The Kansas State game, you go to Manhattan, Kansas. Perry misses that shot. He did, what, eight times? And he he made the one that he had to make, and, and credit to him. Tip your cap to the other team. They won the game. The reason why that game gets magnified is because you lost to three Philadelphia area teams. But right. you allowed you, – Villanova has never in the last decade allowed their opponent to control the way a game was played. And to me, that's what they've done a couple of times this year, which is cause for an eyebrow race. Because when we thought Villanova, we've always thought, if you're going to beat them, you will win on their terms. And I hope that Saturday against UCLA and having a full, what, 10 days to prepare for this Creighton game causes this team to go into Creighton and say, this is how we're going to do it. Now, honestly, Villanova's way of playing is the precise formula to be in a game in Omaha. Mm -hmm. Because you have to beat Creighton you have to calm their waters. If you let them go spring break on you, have a couple <laughs> of tequila shots, and start jumping in the pool, and, and you got country music blasting in Omaha, and they're knocking down sh- shots like you guys on your spring break back in the day, we're, we're done for. Just start up the plane. Let's get the hell out of Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> You've got to make this an orchestra outing. You've got to make this a fancy wine and cheese party. Don't. <laughs> Don't make this a drunk country concert. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So let's transition a little bit to the to the Big East because you just brought up Creighton. Um, this out of conference has been weird um, for, for, for the conference, I feel like. I feel like we came out this year thinking high hopes. Big East is going to step right up and throw punches with the Big 12. Hasn't exactly happened yet. Do I think the pieces of the puzzle are there for the Big East Conference overall to get there in a year or two? Yes. But it hasn't materialized quickly. Um, Obviously, Villanova lost a couple key games. St. John's has not been, I think, what you thought they could be with Rick Pitino and the roster he assembled. And you kind of watched him play, and you're like, this kind of makes sense. But but it's kind of been weird. Butler's been a bright spot. Uh, yes. Providence has been really solid. Um, it doesn't like they kind of feel like they're kind of continuing their role, but but then DePaul's been really bad. Uh, Georgetown's yep. been worse than I maybe thought that they were going to be, and yep. Seton Hall has not been what they need to be um, either. So it, and then Xavier's with their injuries, you can't blame them. But but it's just not been. It feels like what you once came in thinking, oh, this might be a seven-team conference, uh, you know, a seven-bid conference with with three teams in the top three seeds. You still got those three teams in the top three seed lines, but all of a sudden, where does the line fall off in terms of making more NCAA tournament teams? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think there's two ways of looking at this. So here's the deal. At the end of the day, last year, the Big East had five bits. But three of them made the Sweet 16, so we don't even remember that they had five bits. Mm-hmm. Comes off as seven. So the conference, the conference, here's what I look at. So I know, I know people are going to look at it as volume of bids, and they want six or seven. But when the conference got seven teams in, three of the teams were playing in an eight-nine game. 
Then there was another team that was playing in a 7-10 game. That's not a great formula either. <coughs> no. You can no. Be, ask the Big Ten how that's worked out for them. <laughs> it has not. It has not worked out. And I think it will work out better for them this year with Purdue. Uh, because I, I, the Purdue stuff, they're going to get redemption. Like the, this, this notion that they can't win in March Madness, this is bound to happen. And feel you can feel it. Like in your veins, sports stories manifest themselves. It feels like that over there. But I digress. To me, the conference's goal right now should be get five or six teams in. Get five. Get five. Now, as we sit and talk here today, you'd have. You'd have five. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the, that's the crazy thing. Like, you know, people are out there saying, like, well, it's a three-bid league. There, I've seen some people suggest that. No, Providence would be firmly in today. They mm-hmm. beat, they blew out Wisconsin. They have no bad losses. And Villanova would be in. I mean, I'm not saying that they're in healthily or that they're in comfortably, but they would be in the NCAA tournament. Butler would probably be just on the outside, but they might they might be on the inside, but they're probably on the outside. But my point is, like, I didn't think Georgetown was going to be any good. Hmm. DePaul is awful, but better than Louisville. Um, <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Seton Hall has not been good. But, guys, to me, in order to have a combo of two things, one, get great seats – and two, get your five or six. Right now, it's a good thing to have a clear bottom. I was just going to ask you about that, John. Are you worried about the cannibalization that's about to happen in the middle? I am worried about one team cannibalizing others. Georgetown. Yeah. So I am worried about Georgetown beating a couple of teams in D.C. Yeah. Not, Not on the road. Not on the road. But you know what Georgetown did to TCU? I mean, they beat them. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, not on paper, but they oh, did. More points. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But, but you know, that's that to me is, and you're right on that. I mean, there was a, it's a rule that's going to get changed. Yeah. The NCAA is going to change that rule. It was unbelievable that that happened. But I'm concerned about a butler on the bubble going over to Georgetown and losing. Mm-hmm. I'm, yep. concern, I'm concerned about – I'm just – I'm concerned about Villanova. Yeah. Off-day shooting and then losing a game to Georgetown, and you're sitting there saying, oh, no. That's exactly like, what we said today. Like, at least losing – at least losing at Seton Hall, like, their net's going to hover around 100. It's not a demoralizing loss. But Georgetown – Georgetown's net is 231. <laughs> and it ain't going to change a whole lot. So that's concerning. That yeah. is concerning. And not only to mention that, John, you mentioned Villanova. We play them on February 16th and February 27th. So you're getting a wildly different team than, than what you have right now because, look, say what you want about Ed Cooley, and a lot of people have said a lot of things that they want about Ed Cooley. <laughs> yes. But, but, but by, the, by February, this team is going to be better. Yeah. Yes, and I really and, – and that's just it, is that they – if they pick somebody off, who's on the bubble, it's going to be categorized as a terrible loss. It's not actually that because the team grew, but metrically it is. So that's a huge situation in the league right now. I think five Big East teams will make it. I think you'll have this firm three. And then I think two of 
two of Providence, Villanova, Butler, St. John's, or I can't believe I'm saying this, or Xavier. And I yeah. know what you're all saying. How, John? How the hell do you think Xavier? I only say that because of Sean Miller. And remember a couple years ago when Providence was god-awful early in the season? Lost in, lost in Anaheim, lost yep. in Anaheim. And then caught this wave in February, won like seven of eight. And it was the 2020 season with yep. Juan Hipkins. They were going to make the tournament, guys. Mm -hmm. But they had a dreadful non-conference. Like, horrendous. That's the one thing the Big East has going for it with the Big 12. The Big 12 and Big East can both say this. Their top is so strong that if you can manage a win over one of those guys, you now have gold that other bubbly teams do not. Mm -hmm. Five teams, which in an 11-team league, you want to get five or six. And then you want to sit there and say, can we get three to the second weekend? And if you do that, that's a good year. Check check the box. If you get somebody in the final four, that's a great year. I mean, John, it's not look, it's not gonna it's not probably not going to happen. But you could make the case that the Big East could get three teams to the Elite Eight. Oh, 100 percent No, yeah, no question. I mean, right now I think Connecticut's the most complete team in college basketball. Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe that. Um, and Arizona is probably the team that gives them the biggest test, but I even believe UConn's got a slight edge over them. And I say that, guys, because Klingon hasn't even been great. No, Von Castle hasn't even materialized, and it hasn't mattered. We'll see what UConn does this Friday in Seattle against Gonzaga, but but I think they'll be favored. I think that they probably find a way to win. They're just lethal from three. When they hit a three, it feels like six. So. You know, they're they're so together. Marquette's got the best point guard in the country. I mean, Kolick's incredible. And Oso Iguodaro is the latest case of Shaka Smart player development. And Creighton, to me, everybody's kind of disregarded them because they lost to Colorado State. Like, Who's one have, hell of a team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's one hell of a team that, honestly, want my honest take? Creighton disregarded them. And yeah. guess what happened? Guess what happened? They paid the price. Sometimes, sometimes you get your butt beat. That day they did. They're going to be okay. So, John, I guess who's your who's your team at, at this point in the season? Looking at it, we're about to jump into conference play. Give me your give me your five buys in the in the Big East tournament. My five buys. Yes. I'll even okay. give you the benefit of you don't have to rank them in an order. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go Marquette, Connecticut, Creighton, Villanova, and Providence. You mean it or are you just on the Villanova podcast? <laughs> no, I, I just, no, I don't trust Butler on the road. Yeah. Um, I, I don't trust Xavier enough to give them a buy. St. John's doesn't play any defense. Mm -hmm. So you're – I got to take Villanova because they've proven Villanova's going to beat one of those top three teams at least one time. They're going to beat one of those. Yeah. If you said, if I said to you right now, if I said to the three of you, take off your Villanova hat. I know that's hard. If I said, yeah, right. <laughs> I, if I said to you right now, okay, you get to pick one Big East team to beat one of Creighton, Marquette, UConn on a given night. Which team are you going to pick? UConn. 
No, no, no. no. I'm saying of, I, of the rest. I know. I'm telling you the one that I want to beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, but I'm no. saying which team is most suitable to beat one of those teams. Yeah, yeah it, Nova. Or I would say us or maybe Providence. On a, Providence. Neutral, on a neutral floor. Oh, on a us. neutral floor, then yeah. probably us. Yeah. But well, the Providence mean. got the dunk, right? So, like, Providence yeah. is going to win games. So. By the way, by the way, conference opener next Tuesday, conference opening night, Marquette at Providence. It could be right there. Providence could win that game at the at the amp. Yep. The last two they've played have gone to overtime. Yeah. Uh, at the amp. So, yep. yeah, look, I would take Villanova because I just – I still trust Justin Moore, Eric Dixon, Tyler Burden who's coming along. Burden's coming along. Um, Hakeem Hart, you know, I still like as, as much as they've had some bad, bad days, they seem to play well under pressure more so than some of these other teams. Look at the end of the day, could St. John's take fifth? Sure. Maybe, yeah. but, but guys, they, they're, they have been horrendous defensively. Horrendous. Tino's had a lot of commentary on that. <laughs> You know, it's interesting that you mentioned because something we've spoke about on the pod has just been, despite the losses, we've responded, Nova has responded well to basically every challenge that's happened, barring St. Joe's where we did just kind of get worked across the board. Like every single game, though, there was a chance when there was a chance to respond, we responded in yes. some way, shape or form. Um, the Philly games aren't great, <laughs> obviously, how, they, how the execution of it happened. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I mean... Villanova, to me, for Burden to have the week that he just had, that's big. He needed a confidence booster. Guys, that kid works his ass off, and he's a man. I mean, I I told this to a couple of Villanova people. If that guy was in a suit and tie walking around Wall Street, I'd be able to confuse him for a 37-year-old father of two girls. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler Burden looks like that. He's a grown man. He's a grown man. So – they, they've got people that should make them – they have to make the NCAA tournament. This yep. team, to me, is way too talented to not be able to make it. You know, they go to Creighton and they go to DePaul. They host Xavier. Let's face it. you got to start conference play minimum two and one. Mm-hmm. Minimum. So it's all on the table for this team. You know, I like Brendan Hawson and, and the kind of burst that he can provide – I think sometimes they press a little bit. You know, Burden only shot one for seven from three. Like, he didn't have a – it's amazing. He did not shoot the basketball well from the floor, but he went 11 for 14 from the free throw line against UCLA, uh, which which speaks to his ability to get to the free throw line and make things happen. But, you know, they – I think it's the same type of philosophy, right? They're going to – what do they say about about – you know, shooting them up and, and sleeping sleep in the streets. The streets. Yeah. In the streets. You know, that's what they're going to keep doing. I would just say, to me, what the next step is, is can you can you get someone or two who understand that you can give a ball fake and go to the bucket? Yep. You know, Jermaine Samuels was unbelievable at doing that. And it's, de- do you know how demoralizing it is for a defense? Like, for a defense, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief when they hoist a three. If yeah. it goes in, it goes in. But I think that's the next step for this team. I mean, there's been so few moments where I feel like we've gotten a team in full rotation, where that pump fake happens, we drive. And then whether it's a layup or then we start kicking it around the perimeter. Like, it's been so few moments of that. So definitely, definitely, like, think that's the next step. And something I called out, and John, I don't even know if you saw this, but, like, 
uh, I was looking on synergy. Like, I mean, we're shooting 28% on open uncontested, uncontested jumpers. Like something has to give back from a shooting standpoint as well. Yeah. Some of these have to drop. I mean, it it feels like Villanova's played tight at times. And again, that's kind of where I go to like, at some point, somebody's got to just take off the mask and say, F this, let's go. You know, Uh, I don't mean that in COVID terminology. (laughs) I mean that in like, just stop worrying about what people are going to think about you. Stop worrying about who you're trying to be and just play your game. And I, I do sense at times, like, there's a little bit too much process on the floor. A little bit too much reacting happening for Villanova. Villanova robots, yeah. Yeah, be less robotic and, and go. This system's at its best when you combine the fundamental with the, damn, they're talented. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It, it, it feels like one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of the season, John, was like, what are your expectations for this team? And obviously, metric-wise, et cetera, we listed like NCAA tournament, buy in the Big East tournament, whatever. But one of the things that we said was, have fun. (laughs) Last year looked like the least fun Villanova basketball year that any of those players had. None of them had fun at any point last season. It was a root canal the entire time. And it feels like, Bahamas aside, it feels like they have to have fun. (laughs) And – you hope sometimes that it's like a, hey, you need to something needs to just go right, and and like like that TJ Bomba like layup where he just was found himself in the right place and kind of was able to have a putback and it almost looked like an alley oop, but it was it was just a, a shot that fell short and he grabbed the rebound and <laughs> threw, threw up the layup, but like it was it you, you just kind of like okay they need to do something so they could start having fun and if this team starts having fun i feel like they'll win a ton of games but it just they're just not enjoying themselves out there yeah that that's a big key chris and by the way chris is it your birthday it it, it is it is happy it is. birthday happy birthday to you chris thank You're you the best <laughs> have a happy, happy birthday i'm glad that i'm so glad and i get to spend part of your birthday with you <laughs> Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, they, they've got to have more fun. They've got to be less do this, do that to win. And a little bit more organic. I think that that's the biggest thing with this Villanova team is Saturday's win over UCLA, you know, still featured some of that. But but I thought at certain points, their, their defensive principles in that game were great. They played with aggressiveness. Hakeem Hart came alive, which was huge. And Dixon got on the glass, so did Burden. But, you know, one other thing that I look at with Villanova is their assist count. Their assist count sometimes is really low. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, to me, is, like, why is the ball sticking? And, and, you know, a lot of people have said, well, it's point guard play. They don't have a great point guard. Well, they do have a lot of multi-positional players. Yeah who could play different positions, put the ball on the floor, and do different things. I don't want to just hear it's that there's a point guard thing. And Armstrong has had his ups and downs. Those have been well documented. But to me, it's not as simple as let's blame Mark Armstrong for not fully coming into his own. And let's let's look at, um, at that as the sole reason why this team's not as good offensively as they could be. He's not the reason why you're taking 37 threes. Okay? Comfort level. Like, to me, this is where coaching really comes into play and, and is important. And I expect this team to grow. 
You have 11 days before you jump into your conference season. Do you know what 11 days signifies to me? Of course, they're going to take their final. But it signifies to me you can go back to the drawing board, watch film, and work on who? Yourselves. Yourselves. Billy Lang said this, the head coach at St. Joe's. He goes, you know what makes Villanova so hard to prepare for? You know what you're going to get every single time, and there's really nothing you can do about it on a scout team because it's principle-based, and they're disciplined, and they do this, and they dictate the way the game's going to get played. Now, St. Joe's controlled that game and controlled the way it was played. Credit to them. Lang knows a thing or two about Villanova. you got to throw that in as well. But to me, to me, what stood out and what has stood out about this team is is that they haven't always taken ownership of that style, of that DNA. They've got to. And that DNA, Jay Wright would say this, the DNA is not just to take threes. The DNA was taking threes if threes were the best shots. The ball needs to move. Players have to take accountability. Villanova is a program that's based on accountability. This team's had some of it. They've shown flashes. This season's gone better than last season. Don't kid yourself. As much as the Philadelphia mess was the Philadelphia mess, you still have accounted for good wins. This is not death. It's not dark days. It's time over the next week for this basketball team to not be the same. Now is not the time for complacency. It's time to grow your identity, whether Justin Moore is on the floor or not. This team's success level comes down to more than more. It comes down to those transfers becoming fully connected and understanding that what this program is about is five guys who could make a defense's life a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) Couldn't agree more, John. Just just, said it perfectly. Um, John, what's your – so you said right now you feel like UConn is your your most complete team in the country um, at this moment. Do you have one, two Big East teams in the Final Four? Does Marquette break through? Like, what, what, where do you, where do you have the Big East in terms of? I know we talked a little bit about you could expect three teams in the Elite Eight, but give me, give me a final, give me a full Final Four. I'm just curious where the Big East kind of lays out in that. Yeah, my full Final Four right now. Arizona's in there. It's unfair to not put them in there. Caleb loves embracing his role. Kylan Boswell's fantastic. Keisha Johnson's gone to a Final Four at San Diego yep. State. Elite pickup. So Arizona's in there. All right? They, they would be one. Okay? Connecticut would be two. I think they can get back there. I think they're good enough to get back there. So they're in that two slot for me. Hmm. Now is when you start to get a little bit tricky because I think Purdue can make a deep run. I'm not taking them to make the final four. Um, guys, I think Rick Barnes and Tennessee can make it. You think this is the year? This is the year that I they do this it? Could be the year. You know why? They're better offensively than they've Yeah. Connects they have, fantastic. They yeah. have three losses. Remember Zakai Ziegler coming back from the injury? Yep. But I'm, I, I still really like them. And I think they're going to be better for the early struggles. I was impressed with them against Illinois. And to me, Dalton Connect is just. Dalton Connect reminds me of Doug McDermott. Yeah. He's got think, some of that in his game. And I love that, like, Vescovy hasn't even played that well this season. Like, it's he still hasn't really had his moments yet. So, I mean, it's coming. I, I hope so. I love I love Tennessee. And then I'm going to go with Baylor. 
Wow. Okay. With with, with Marquette in the Elite Eight. Okay. Marquette plays for a regional final against Baylor. There it is. Baylor gets a slight edge, but I, I would not be surprised at all if Marquette beat them. But uh, I really like this Baylor team. Ray J. Dennis, Jacoby Walter, offensively, they're really, really tough. Um, Jalen Bridges has only gotten better. Scott Drew's got a group that's connected, playing at an extremely high level. So UConn, Arizona, Tennessee, Baylor. Guys, I would not totally kill off Duke yet. I think their early struggles are really good for them. Because you know what's happened to them? They've fallen off the map. Michigan State's fallen off the map for good reason. Yeah, they're... Duke's fallen off the map because why? They lost at home to Arizona, who's number one in the country. And they lost at Arkansas. Nobody was winning at Arkansas that night. Nobody. Yeah. And they lost to Georgia Tech, which was a tough loss. That's a game that you shouldn't lose. But uh, I'm not all the way out on Duke yet. They, they play Hofstra tomorrow night. Speedy Claxton's team is tough. They're better than people think. Tyler Thomas is a bucket, but but I'm not all the way out on them just because I think we've become conditioned to, to sometimes counting some of those teams out yeah. if they struggle early. That could end up being a good thing for them. But Arizona, Connecticut, Baylor, and I'm – man, I've, I've gone with him before and I've been snake-bitten. But I, I think this Tennessee team might be different this time. Okay. Fool me I mean, once, fool me twice, fool me thrice. Hopefully not, hopefully not again. I mean, the other thing, too, with Duke is that, look, they're going to play Hofstra and Queens, which aren't great games. Oh, Hofstra's pretty solid. But Baylor, obviously, is a, is a, is a really tough opponent. But then, but then the ACC, I mean, UNC's been great. great. But, but other than UNC. And Clemson. And Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. yeah, right. PJ Hall is a. Absolutely. Clemson monster. could get there. I know people think that's nuts. Clemson no. could make the final four. I know people think that's crazy. If you have I please. No. If I'm, you're a junkie on this call or a junkie watching, watch Clemson play. Yeah. I put I put oh, a little yeah, future TO's down. in TO's in your head a lot though. I I don't know. <laughs> they I put remind a little future me of, down for them. They remind me quite a bit of Seton Hall in 2019-20. They okay. are a very similar team. To that team because they have an elite, they have elite big men. They rebound, and Joe Girard unlocks them from three, and Powell did that for yeah. those Seton Hall teams. That 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 is, Clemson plays a very disciplined nature. To is in my ear, but I'm telling you that that team is the real, real deal. Yeah, but not crazy uh, to think that. Yeah. That that you and that, that sorry that Duke can run out fifteen wins in conference and end up with a very high yeah. seed and, and right. put themselves in position to make a run. And, so. and look, Kentucky should make a run. I mean, if you watch Kentucky play, that they have all the talent in the world. Do I trust them? No. But should they be able to make a run? Uh, yes. Robert Dillingham and Reed Shepard have been two of the five best freshmen in the country, and like they've been two of the best fifteen players in the country. Reed Shepard's efficiency is outstanding, and his ability to his defensive instincts are at his size are baffling. Frankly, <laughs> what he's able to do defensively. Um, I had a question, just a Big East question. Um, what player has stood out to you the most in the Big East that you like surprised you the most? Let's say, like we all expect what Colex done, we expected to see what we've seen at UConn, we've expected to see you know Trey Alexander be who he is, but like what player surprised you the most? 
Well, Pierre Brooks and Jameel Telfort at Butler. I was hoping you would say Telfort. I was hoping yeah, you would Telford. say Telfort. So Telfort, I'm not shocked because I had him a couple times doing the CAA games on CBS yep. Sports Network last year. And Telford was really good. Like, they would just feed him the ball at the elbow, and he scored. He's a junkyard dog type of player. So, Willie, it's a great question. I, I think he's a guy, like, he plays bully ball. Yeah. And they could set him up on an island. One thing about Thad Mata, Thad Mata's really good at setting up his best offensive players for shots that, that go in. Um, he Like, last year, Butler was soft, and they weren't very talented. And you could blame Thad. I don't think Thad properly put his roster together for what things called for. Do I think this Butler team is great? I, I don't think they're great. But I think they're good enough to be in the position. And why? Because Telford and Brooks are dynamic wings. And now Posh Alexander has shooters. Never had that. How did it? <laughs> What was Mike Anderson doing like? <laughs> no, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> For one, he was off to a better start than Patino. But uh... <laughs> hold on, David Jones is like killing it for Memphis. Yep. What? Where, what were you doing, personnel-wise? What was your offense like, Patino? Here's the thing: the defense has been dreadful, but at least St. John's runs offense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, who's um, AJ Store? The other one, like they've all transferred and been better. Yes. The. I mean, look, Butler, but especially when you consider Hinkle, and you consider what Butler can do offensively, they're going to throw ninety on a couple teams this year in conference play, and yes. and and run out with a few wins. So yes, I'm not surprised. I you Willie took away UConn as like a whole team, but Tristan Newton's been absolutely electric. I, look, they've been really good. And by the way, I was right. <laughs> like you yeah, they've, been great. they've been great. Um, I, I thought they'd be really good. I don't think I, I, I don't think anybody could have seen them being great this early. They are a really, really special group. Camp Spencer like, was the perfect portal ad. Solo ball keeps getting better. Alex Caravan's beyond his years. I think I thought they could be great because of Caravan coming back. And just, I love the kid. I, I think he's a winner. And Tristan Newton. I mean, at the end of the day, Danny said before the season, I said, what's the key this year? He goes, the same as last year, Tristan Newton. Yeah. So I think the thing about UConn is they're so good with, as we said earlier, Klingon and these other guys aren't peaking yet. And just there was no drop off at all. Um, so that was. Uh, I think what surprised me about UConn, like you expect them to, to not really have that hangover. Hurley's a good coach, say whatever you want about him, but he's a good coach and he's not going to let them have that hangover. But just the how well they played without these guys really reaching their peak yet is uh, is what's worrisome for at least for other Big East teams come January, February, March. Yes, but, yes, but. I still believe... See, it's a long season. It's a long season. So I'm with you, Trevor. They could they could honestly go the whole regular season and only lose three games or four games or, you know, maybe five tops. But I do get a gut feeling. This league is so, so tough. It's, it's like 
you could look at teams right now and you could sit there and say, ah, that's a win. It's the Big East, man. You Nothing is easy. Nothing. Because of the crowds and how tough these teams play and how well coached they are. Looking at UConn, early conference schedule. At Seton Hall, St. John's, DePaul. They should win all those games. They're at Butler January 5th. They're at Xavier January 10th. I would say in it'll be a surprise in the moment. I could see them losing to one of those two teams. Just by virtue of desperation, they're at home. They hit a couple more shots on that night. And, you know, Butler got disrespected by UConn last year. They got punked. They're going to want revenge. They'll have a wild crowd there. You know, you, they have a stretch, UConn, where they go Creighton at Nova. Xavier, who gives them – who Sean Miller seems to have a nice formula. He swept Dan Hurley last year with more talent, but still. Providence at St. John's. Like, that's a tough stretch. And then, guys, it's interesting. UConn could go into the Big East tournament not soaring and flying because look at their late conference schedule. Their, their late conference schedule is insane. I'm looking at it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, we've been there too. The Jay Marquette, in the past. Right. Home Marquette at Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall, but then at Marquette at Providence. I'm telling you what, the late conference slate for UConn, if they're chasing that regular season, they're going to have to earn it. Marquette fans will be the first ones to tell you, John, it's harder to win the Big East than it is to win a national championship. So, Well, for Marquette, you got to get to the second weekend this year. Yeah. Yeah. All right, John, final, final question here. Is Georgetown's wavering so far this year in the early conference season, has that taken any air at all out of the sales in pro- at, when they come to the AMP in late January? No. Not at all. I, I feel like it's only it's only aided it. <laughs> yeah, is that going to be a game that like the whole like like Val's there like like you're? Like... No, I don't think that the commissioner of the Big East will be in the house for that one because I don't think she doesn't want to get hit with a beer can. You don't want to be associated with that, you know. I mean, seriously, <laughs> now I, I'll be on site. I'll cover the game. You know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, what if somebody comes up and you know uh, yells at you or throws." Guys, you know me, Chris. You've known me for a long time. I'm not like that. I'm a human. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that helps. I'd like to think that helps my relatability. I am who I am. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm a human who covers college basketball. If a kid comes up to me and starts screaming at me, I will gladly speak with them. I'm not like that. I'm not a combative person. I'm a positive person. You know, the thing is, Ed Cooley made a move from Providence to Georgetown. And Providence College is in a much better place than Georgetown University right now as a program. Ed bet on Georgetown, getting them elevated, and what that would mean to follow in the footsteps of John Thompson. Okay? As a result, I'm covering that story. What do I believe? There's no chance in hell I would have left Providence College. No. (laughs) Nobody's... Nobody's ever asked me, what would you have done? (laughs) Okay. I recognize every Providence has the, has one of the best fan bases in America, like top four, five in the country. You could say one and I, I'd be with you. I just don't put number one because another fan base will get pissed off of me, but they're right up there. They have great resources. They have NIL. They have everything you would want. So, but that's what he decided to do. 
and Providence fans will make him aware of that decision on January 27th. <laughs> but when I get tweets at night saying, how upset are you at Georgetown's results? Let me be very, <laughs> let me be very clear. I lose no sleep <laughs> on results of games. I go to bed at night. Marquette won the Big East tournament last year. For years, Marquette fans like, you don't cover us fairly. Well, then you won the Big East. We were covering you all, all day, all night. You know why? You won it. <laughs> you won it. Congratulations. So it's it's that's just how it is. You know, that that, that January 27th game is going to be absolutely bonkers. It will be a three-ring circus. I know, I know people of so many other fan bases who have snuck in tickets. They've only been able to buy one because that's all that's available. And uh yeah, it should be it should be a quite the it's night. Nuts. Nice. All right, John. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. As always, like you've been, you've always came on this podcast the last four, five, six years running, and it's been, it's been, uh, you know, just a blessing and honor to have you on. And uh, it's, it's awesome to watch your career and your personal life. And we should have started with this, but uh, congratulations on the uh, on yep. the recent nuptials um, and honeymoon, and and all of that comes with that. Um, so congratulations on that. It's, it's awesome to watch you grow as a person, as a professional. So, so congratulations, John. Thank you guys. I appreciate you so much for having me on. And this was a pleasure anytime. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, John. Happy right. holidays, Nova Nation. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we'll be back, uh, in, are we doing next week? I think we'll, we said that we would do next. Uh, really can't. To be decided. Yeah, TBD. We'll, we'll, we'll Something crazy it. happens maybe, but we got to talk about it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, so we'll be, we'll be with you. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, let's go Nova.